So on um, Sukkot, there are so many marvelous... We talk about Sukkot all day, you know. It, it is such a rich holiday in, in the Bible. Um, and it is amazing. And I guess the reason that I find it so fascinating is because it's such a, the opposite of uh, the way this holiday is understood today. Today, it's just like, it's like an afterthought, uh, Sukkot. Um, I mean, I remember growing up, uh, Sukkot was, a, was a, ha- a very happy holiday, and it was fun because my dad uh, would build a sukkah. On a, the, we had a patio you know, in the back of our house, and uh, in the garage, he, um, I guess, you know, the first year that they moved into the house, he must have gone out and gotten the, uh, the right pieces of wood and, and burlap and, and all that, so that every year he would just take out the same, you know, the same pieces of wood and build a frame, and the walls were made out of burlap. So it had that, you know, that smell of burlap, right? So inside of the sukkah, every year, I should bring you, I have a picture of me sitting there in the sukkah, you know, uh, and, uh, and it, was, it was great. Not only that, but it also had like whatever the name of whatever that burlap was used for, you know, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, you know, and it's size of, and uh, so that was kind of neat. Uh, and, uh, and he and I would go somewhere, I don't know where, when I was very young, uh, there was no houses next to ours. Ours was the last house on the street. Uh, so I think we would just go into these woods there and gather up uh, branches for the roof. And then, of course, they built houses in another street, and it was all, all that was gone. And, uh, and so we went somewhere, I don't know where. And, and, but it was the whole process was great. And then, uh, you know, in Hebrew school, I would uh, draw pictures and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm sure if you're, if you're Jewish here, you have had the same experience. And, uh, and so I'd put the pictures up, you know, on the, on the walls of the sukkah. And then uh, we would decorate it, ourse- you know, ourselves with fruit and uh, fall types of things, you know, that, that corn that you don't eat, you know what I mean, whatever that is, and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and we would eat in the sukkah. We would eat a dinner in the sukkah. We didn't sleep in it. Upstate New York, you know, it's just October, forget about it. But, uh, but we, would, uh, we would eat uh, our dinner in, in the sukkah. And uh, so isn't it great? So what all that means is, isn't it wonderful? And I'm sure that there were times when it wasn't perfect or my dad was late getting home from work and we had to hurry up and eat and, and it wasn't like this meaningful moment every night. But now, all these decades later, I remember that. Right? I remember that. It's part of who I am. And so we're building memories into our children when we do those kinds of things. Even if it isn't perfect. Even if we don't get it just right. You, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and so that is, uh, that's very important. And, and so Sukkot, in that way, was very important. I mean, outside of the Passover Seder, I mean, there was, this was a very labor-intensive holiday. You know, uh, all that. But in, the, but in the big scheme of things, after Yom Kippur, it was like way down, you know, it was, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and so it didn't have the same meaning. But now, uh, knowing the Lord, of course, every holiday has tremendous meaning, but Sukkot has, uh, 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 I, don't, I don't know what the word is, a lot of meaning, a trem- tremendous meaning for us. Uh, and, uh, and then when I did a study, 
uh, for our MSI course, I never frankly realized that Sukkot is written about all over the Bible, more than any other holiday, by far. I mean, by far. Uh, and it's interesting that in Nehemiah, uh, you know, Nehemiah, we're going to be all over the place this morning, as I already am, but um, uh, in uh, Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a, um, wasn't really a prophet, you know, so we don't want to call him that. He was actually uh, an administrator. <laughs> That's what he was really good at. Uh, he was a strategist, and uh, uh, there's, a, um, there's a real principle uh, behind Nehemiah. Of course, we, everybody loves, what everybody does is they preach Nehemiah when they're going to have a building uh, uh, campaign or something, right? But Nehemiah uh, and Ezra were a great team. And I always like to think of Nehemiah and Ezra, I'm always thinking in those terms myself and, and here, in that you have a teacher and then you have someone that knows what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, getting things organized, how do you move from here to there, how do you organize the workers, uh, who's the strategist, how's it going to happen? That's what Nehemiah did. And what you're really reading in the book of Nehemiah, you could almost call it the memoir of Nehemiah. And that's actually a, a genre, believe it or not, a memoir. And, and that's really what it is. It's sort of like, you know, Nehemiah writing about kind of just his experience of what happened. And, uh, and so that is, I think that's very important. Most Ezra's are not very good Nehemiah's, and uh, every Nehemiah needs an Ezra to keep him in line. You know what I mean? And, uh, but but uh, Nehemiah was, was a great man. But in chapter 8, he describes in a few verses here uh, the celebration of Sukkot. And so it's very interesting. And by the way, uh, Ezra mentions it, and Haggai, Haggai the prophet, mentions the dates. And that's very important because uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Haggai are after the Babylonian captivity, which is the beginning of the Second Temple period. And so it tells us how important this holiday was that they're writing about it and describing it in such a way. So it's very important. Okay. So in the 14th verse of the 8th chapter of Nehemiah, it says, uh, And they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. It's called the feast of the seventh month. It tells you how important it is. It doesn't say the third feast of the seventh month. It doesn't say after Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It's just about the feast of the seventh month. It's that, you know, important. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof. Uh, and in their courts, and in the courts of the houses of God, and in the square at the water gate, and at the square at the gate of Ephraim. By the way, in Israel, they build sukkahs on roofs. It's kind of interesting. It's like it says here. And the entire assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day. And there was great rejoicing. And he read from the book of the law of God daily, from the first day to the last day, and they celebrated the feast of seven days. They celebrated the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. 
So it's just fascinating that uh, we read how they celebrated, uh, how they uh, uh, celebrated Sukkot. And as we said, uh, in Zechariah, this is, uh, as, as Sandy read this morning, and as we talked about a little bit last night, this is very, very important information about Sukkot. We learn that after the captivity, Sukkot began to be viewed as Sukkot to the future, okay? Now, there could be, you know, something, sometimes God gives revelation as a result of circumstances. And when the Jewish people came back, after the captivity, Jerusalem was in ruins, and the second temple was not like the first temple. So there, and, and when they came back, it was not the, the Messianic times. It wasn't, the, uh, it wasn't uh, the king sitting on his throne in Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. You had uh, enemies galore, you know, uh, uh, very important, uh, and, and overseers and problems. Uh, you read about certainly some of that right there in Nehemiah when they were trying to build the, the walls around the city, and you read about it when they were trying to build the, the second temple. So they began to look to the future, that this is not it yet. There's going to be some future time. And so Sukkot became like the, the, the theme of the, of the future. Uh, and, um, and in the, um, uh, the Haftorah for today in Ezekiel, it's interesting that it talks about that future time. It talks about living waters, right? Coming out of Jerusalem, living waters coming out of Jerusalem. And, uh, and that should remind us that, you know, in Hebrew, that's a, that rhymes, living waters. Maim Chaim. That's what that is. Maim Chaim. And, uh, and in John chapter 7, it's no coincidence that Yeshua says it was the feast of, it was the feast of uh, tabernacles. It was uh, Sukkot, Feast of Booths, when Yeshua says this. Uh, and the famous passage in John 7, 37 to 39, that took place on the seventh day of the feast which is called Hoshana Rabbah, which is a, a great day in the synagogue today where you're praying for rain, praying for rain in Israel, okay? Uh, and, uh, and, and also for just uh, the, the consummation of, of everything. It's a Hoshana Rabbah, which means, uh, Lord, please save us. Please save us, Okay. All right, so he says um, here in verse 37, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Right? So Yeshua is identifying his coming with, Ezek with uh, Ezekiel chapter 46, is it? 46 or 47. And, uh, and ab about water flowing out from underneath the temple. Okay? So it's, uh, it's very important to understand that, that what Yeshua is saying, you know how we say that, you know, experiencing Israel's future today? That was also like Yeshua's uh, uh, vision statement. Experiencing Israel's future today, okay? That, uh, that Yeshua uh, uh, was one who uh, uh, came to ensure the ultimate. When he came the first time, he came to ensure the, the consummation that was to come. Okay, uh, And so notice what it says here. Uh, in verse 39, John gives us a very important interpretation of this. 
And let me just say this. Now, verse 39 is not Yeshua speaking, right? It's John writing. So you know what it tells us? It tells us that Yeshua told his disciples a lot more information than what's written, like out of the, you know, the quotes of the Messiah. And, uh, and uh, it's fascinating. Of course, at the end of the Gospel of John, it says, and Yeshua did so many more things that it would take forever to write them all down, right? And, uh, but what we do know is, is that Yeshua must have told, he, he must have gone on to explain to them that this was speaking of the Ruach, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of God. And so he lets us know that in verse 39. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Yeshua was not yet glorified. So he's saying that uh, when he said this, he was talking about the, the, the Spirit of God being poured out, but it hadn't happened yet because first Yeshua had to go through the process of dying for our sins and being raised from the dead so that then he could ascend to the right hand of the Father and pour out the Ruach HaKodesh. See? Uh, and the living water, the Ma'im Chaim, uh, is uh, uh, speaking of uh, the Spirit of God. And, uh, and so uh, when you uh, remember that, uh, and you go to a passage like 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here, turn there. Turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in uh, the Brit Hadashah, in the New Covenant. This is, uh, Paul says something very, very important related to Sukkot, related to John 7, related, he kind of like puts it all together in a very practical way here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So I need to say something about 2 Corinthians, okay? So Paul wrote, uh, most people believe, three letters, actually, to the Corinthians, okay? The first one was uh, not real pleasant, right? And I, uh, it was uh, uh, not condemning, but it was certainly uh, correcting, right? Uh, he wrote 2 Corinthians after that, and it was a while, a while after that. And there might have been one in between. People believe there might have been a letter in, even in between. And uh, uh, 2 Corinthians is written toward the end of his life. And it is his most personal letter that he, that he writes of, of everything he wrote. 2 Corinthians is the most personal letter where he talks about himself and how he feels about things, right? And so this is important to this passage. Now, I need to compare it briefly to 1 Thessalonians, okay? This is like, uh, this is great information, okay? 1 Thessalonians was a real early letter, early, very early. It might have been the first one that he wrote, all right? And 2 Corinthians is almost the last one that he wrote, Okay? In the first one, in the early letter in 1 Thessalonians, that's where he says, we who are alive will be gathered together with those who have fallen asleep. We who are alive. He fully expected that the Lord was coming at any time and that he was going to be alive. Like, this is imminent. This is, like, really imminent. <laughs> you, you know? Okay, by the time you get to 2 Corinthians, he had suffered, he had had a difficult time. And now he knows in his heart that he's going to die, probably going to die, before the Lord comes back, okay? And, uh, and he, he loves these Corinthians people, 
And he even says in another place in this letter how he felt bad. First, he felt bad when they were felt guilty about what he wrote. You know, they were convicted. Then he says, then he felt good because, you know, they, uh, they got it and they changed. And, and you know, it was, it was very special to him. But this is what he says now toward the end of his life when he realizes that, wow, you know, I might die before he comes. Okay? So, 1 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that at the earthly tent, that is the Greek word for sukkah, all right? Sukkah, which is our house, is torn down. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked, For indeed, while we are in this tent, in this sukkah, this flimsy structure, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Okay, so what does he say? First, he realizes, this is a... a, this goes far beyond the scope of, of, of what everything we're going to talk about. But what, he's, what he is saying here is that uh, we have bodies that, are, that fall apart, right? I, I mean, every single person, no matter who, one of the things that every single human being has in common, no matter how well they live, is that we eventually die. And we die of something. Something, you, you know, at some point... Uh, it happens to us all, right? Uh, and, uh, and so the first thing he's saying is uh, we look forward to having a building from God, a, a, a body that is immortal, a real human body that is indeed going to last forever, all right? Not just some ethereal thing. We're not going to be some blob. So, you know what I mean? Okay? But he is concerned about the time period in between living now, dying now, and the future resurrection. And he's concerned that what, you know how people say, what happens to us now? What happens when you die now, right? Well, uh, we know uh, that he, uh, he kind of hits the bottom line in this passage, as we'll see in, in a moment. But he's concerned because he wants that resurrection body, that it's got to be somebody, got to have somebody that either this fallen apart body or the new body and so he looks forward to that resurrection time because that is the goal you know so he says here you know we don't want to be found uh we don't want to be found uh naked right uh meaning without we don't want to have no body and we don't want to have this body we want that resurrection body so he he is fixated on that okay so then he says, he who prepared us for this very purpose of that resurrection, okay, is God who gave us the Spirit as a pledge, okay? Therefore, uh, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. So, uh, a couple of things. 
uh, he says here, the bottom line is uh, uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay, In one way or another, when we don't have our body, we're with the Lord, even if we're still waiting for that resurrection body. All right? Uh, and so that is very powerful, that we are never alone. We're never like in limbo land. We're never, uh, uh, as, as a Messiah follower, we never have to think that um, or rationalize or try to figure out what exactly will I be like. That's beyond uh, the scope of our minds. We can't, that's beyond us. But we know to be absent from the body, to be present with God. And let me just say, that is a really great thing, okay? And whatever it is, whatever it is, it's great, okay? I know that people write a lot about sleeping with Yeshua, we're, we're this, we're that. Uh, Randy Alcorn's book, uh, what's it called? I can't remember the name of it, but the guy, uh, this guy wrote a book about what, what it's like. But basically what he takes is the vision of the future and says how we experience that now. But... I'm just ha- I'll just take this, okay? To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, all right? Uh, and, but he says also, we remain of good courage even if this body is falling apart. We remain of good courage because my hope is not in this body. And may I say we can extend that to looking at the culture, the world, the politics, everything. Be of good courage. This is like a stopping off place. This is not all there is. You know, my hope is not built on this. All right? Uh, uh, Certainly, uh, you know, we're all kind of depressed over the politics of our land and of the world, right? No matter who you are, no matter what, you know, uh, it just reflects, it reflects the culture. It reflects all of us, all the people of the land right? And the state of the world is such a precarious perch, right? Our hope is not built on any of it, any of it. We are called to speak into it, you know? We are strangers. We, we are in the diaspora of heaven, you know what I mean? Uh, we, we are in the diaspora of the future. Uh, we're like out, you know, we're, we're all over the place uh, in this world. I don't mean, I mean that in a positive way, we're all over the place. You know, we're, we're, we're all over the place. And we need to speak into the culture, speak into the world in which we live, right? So, uh, uh, so important to realize that that is not where our hope is. This is where our hope is. And I believe Paul was, he used that word tent, earthly tent, on purpose. Because Sukkot, by this time, was already understood as this vision of the future, and, you know, Sukkot is going to be this marvelous, marvelous time, the cloud of glory that we talked about last night and all that. And, and, and so he's looking forward to that. Uh, and, uh, and so, but he relates it, he sort of turns it on its head and he says, we live in a sukkah now, you know, not to be, cons- not to be compared with the building in the future. So he kind of takes that uh, rabbinic teaching and kind of turns it on his head and says, it, it, the permanency is going to be the permanency, and he looks at it as a building, not as a cloud there. It's kind of interesting. A building in the future. Now we have this um, uh, a temporary uh, uh, structure. All right? 
But then he also says here, so we're of good courage, because he has given us the Spirit as a pledge. It says in verse 5, now he prepared us for this very purpose, who very, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge, therefore being always of good courage. So he gave us the Spirit as a pledge. That means that we experience, as it were, the living waters now, but not in its fullness, as a pledge, okay? The presence of the Ruach in the world and in our lives uh, now is the guarantee that the whole thing is going to come uh, in the future, okay? Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, again, uh, we celebrate uh, Sukkot today, experiencing the thanksgiving of God, the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives, uh, the, build, the beginning of the reclamation project of our lives uh, and of this world, yet we await Yeshua to come for the conclusion of it. So no matter what happens to us in our lives, no one can remove no disease. There is no disease that removes the presence of God. Okay, What diseases do can destroy our bodies, but there is no disease that removes the presence of God from, from our lives. That's permanent. That you have all the way to the end, no matter what happens to you, no matter what disease, no matter how unfortunate, no matter how tragic, no matter what it is, no one removes the presence of God. That is permanent. That is a work that God has done in the resurrection of Yeshua and in the, and in the pouring out of the Spirit, the Maim Chaim stays forever. And, uh, and so we know, we know by that, that, okay, uh, this is the, you know, I, I, can, I have the presence of my future all the way till you get there, okay? And so Sukkot becomes like, in a, in a sense, the guarantor of that as we, as we, uh, we look to Sukkot to, guarantee, to remind us of that, you know? Uh, and so it is such a, a glorious event. And so Paul does say here, you know, we are always of good courage, okay? And he says, look at where his priorities are. I prefer rather to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. I, I, I prefer that. But he was not finished here yet. And so uh, we need to recognize that, that as long as you breathe, God has purpose in your life now. Very important to know. Okay, as long as you breathe, God, you have purpose in your life, but come that next moment, you are with the Lord, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so very important. Uh, and, uh, and he says here, you know, we walk by faith. He interjects this. We walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, we have good courage. And then he says, therefore, it is our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Home is with the Lord. Absent is here. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Uh, to be pleasing to him. Okay? Uh, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Messiah that each one may recompense for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Well, then he goes, begins to talk about another topic. So we will be, he says, we will be responsible for everything we do in, the, in this life. But boy, that's going to be what we call a positive judgment. That, that it's not like a judgment like, oh no, you're damned you know, or something, or, you know, no. 
It's being, it, this has to do with eternal rewards and things of that nature, and that's a whole other topic. But the, the point for him is, is that he had such confidence uh, that he was going to have a building from God, you know, because of the Mayim Chaim. And Yeshua uh, talks about this on Sukkot. He got that from Yeshua, you know. He gets this teaching from Yeshua. And Yeshua taught on this on Sukkot. Because on Sukkot, there's a looking forward to this, uh, um, uh, uh, to the consummation, to, to the future. And, and so Paul says, we have a portion of that now, the pledge. He also says it, by the way, in Ephesians chapter 1, in reference to Gentiles. When he says, we, you know, he says, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies and, you know, the forgiveness of our sins. And he says, and you also have been given the pledge of the Spirit. He says that, I think, in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 1. You also, speaking to Gentiles, you also, like us, you have the Spirit as a pledge. And that is why in the book of Galatians, Paul says, is that the, the, the sign of being right with God is the Ruach, the, the, the Spirit of God. Not circumcision, but the Spirit of God. That is what you need to, to know and be, and be focused on. And then what, is, what does he say? in, uh, in uh, Speaking of that Galatians book, letter, he describes what living in the power of the Ruach looks like in the fifth chapter. Okay, So what he says here is, in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against things like these. It's not a complete list. Things like these. There is no law. And that is the down payment. That is the, the ruach. That is uh, the, presence of, uh, the, the presence of the future in our lives. The ruach, the Holy Spirit, is the presence of the future in our lives. And remember this, a little theology, a little Bible understanding. That the presence of the Spirit is, that is Yeshua dwelling in us via the Ruach HaKodesh. Very important. Okay? It is Yeshua dwelling in us via. It is God dwelling in us via the Ruach. Okay? It is not like the Father is over here and now the Son is over here and the Spirit is over here. It doesn't work that way. Uh, it is the presence of God it within us via the Ruach. That is the role of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of God, is the presence of God dwelling within us individually and corporately. Okay? Uh, and that is the presence of the future because then in the future, you know, uh, uh, the Lord will tabernacle among men, it says at the end of the book of Revelation. And, and uh, uh, Yeshua will be dwelling on his throne in Jerusalem, and the whole world will be turned upside down, and God will be, will be really with, with, uh, with us in a whole different kind of way in that future. But see, the presence of the future is the presence of the Ruach, the presence of God in our midst via the Spirit of God. So I say all that, I guess, to say this to us, what is, on this journey, what is the takeaway? What is the end of the journey of these holidays? So may I suggest, just in, in uh, finishing up here, a renewal, a starting over again, okay? A starting over again. That uh, um, 
we come through, uh, we, we need to see Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in a way leading to Sukkot. And remember, Sukkot is the end and the beginning. You know, it's like college graduation. You know, this is not the conclusion. It is the beginning of the rest of your lives, right? Uh, as it is, which is true, which is true. So in the, uh, in, it, you know, in the, in the cosmic sense, there's one cycle. You know what I mean? There, that, that ends with the consummation. You know, one cycle of the year. But in our world, it, it goes over and over and over and over and over again, right? Uh, and uh, in the Bible, it is not January 1st to December 31st. It is the fall to the, it is autumn to autumn in, in a way, okay? So it's, it's very interesting. And that is why, may I suggest, that Rosh Hashanah came to be known as Rosh Hashanah, that the, that the feast of the blowing of the shofar came to be known as Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, because of the, the agricultural year, even though Nisan technically is the first month when Passover is. Okay, uh, And so at this time of year, this is the end of the harvest. That's why it's the feast of Thanksgiving, right? But it's also the beginning of the rainy season. And so it starts over again, right? Uh, and so, uh, for us, this is how we need to frame our year. Uh, uh, and so, a time of renewal, a time of starting over again, right? Uh, to be thinking in terms uh, here, like in 2 Corinthians, that our goal should be to be pleasing to the Lord, you know, to, uh, to sort of have a renewed uh, sense of... Um, a renewed uh, sense of uh, fellowship with God, a renewed sense of vision, uh, a renewed uh, sense in, uh, uh, even of uh, unity. And so um, may I suggest that our takeaway for all of this is that may we uh, have a renewed fellowship with God. As we come through these holidays and you think about what we ta- all that we talked about on Rosh Hashanah and all that we talked about on Yom Kippur, I hope that this has really been a spiritual journey for us, not a bunch of services, you know, uh, that it really has been a spiritual journey. And I kind of say this in one way or another every year because that's until we get it, you know, uh, that it would really be a spiritual journey of really repenting, uh, forgiving and being forgiven, and then starting over, being, then being reconciled with God and others, and starting anew, and uh, and God is so wonderful that He allows that, you know, in our lives. Yes, we do face the consequences, and in a way, that's what Paul is talking about in Second Corinthians five. We face the consequences of this. We face the consequences of of our of our bodies. We face the consequences of the sins that we do. But it doesn't define us. None of it defines us. See. And, and so we can keep moving forward. So may we be moving forward with, with a renewed fellowship with God, a deeper relationship, a new walk with Him. Uh, uh, you know, may we commit ourselves to reading the Bible regularly. You know, we're going to be starting um, just, uh, just before Thanksgiving, our observational Bible study it's got, uh, um, a class. It's going to be on Shabbat afternoons. We're going to move the Torah study earlier in the day for a about six weeks, but it's going to be on Shabbat afternoons, and I would encourage you to come to it so that you can be empowered to really read the Bible and be able to look for the right things, 
to really mine the scriptures, you know, uh, and to and, and, and perhaps even uh, saying to ourselves, you know, I'm going to take five minutes a day and do nothing but pray. The reason you might say five minutes, kind of five, because start somewhere, because most of us, for most of us, prayer time, real like dedicated prayer time is like before we eat or for a couple of minutes before our mind wanders off somewhere else. You know, five minutes can actually be a very long time. You know, I, I, uh, or maybe you're already there. So then, you know, keep going. I'll just say, if you're already there, if you're praying like for extended periods of time, just keep going. Like my doctor, I have to cavell as I had my annual physical last week. And my doctor said to me once again, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. Right. So I'll say that about if you are people of prayer and you're in the word, just keep doing it. All right. Keep going. Uh, but have this sense of uh, because we're, we're all, you know, nobody's getting younger. Right. And uh, no matter what age we are, we sometimes look at, oh, yeah, I can't believe I'm 30 years old. Oh, yeah. Right. I'll take it. Right. I'll take it. Right. You know, or, or whatever age we might be, you know, uh, uh, the clock is always ticking. But remember that we walk by faith and not by sight. So it doesn't matter what, exactly what you see in the mirror. OK. Uh, that uh, you belong to God and your future is there. That's the future. The future is the resurrection. That is why we, we are people of good courage. And that is why we have hope no matter what. You know, oh yeah, I could just go on. First, read First Peter when you go home and you'll, you'll read all about that. Li- you know, living hope, living hope. Oh yeah. Okay? Uh, so a renewed fellowship with God. And then this renewed sense of vision right? It all, it just ties right into that, right? Uh, uh, being, uh, being led by the Spirit of God. Remember that the presence of the Ruach in your life does not, it does not mean, the presence of the Ruach in your life does not mean superpowers, necessarily, okay? Sometimes we have a very unrealistic expectation of what I'm supposed to experience. And, and sadly, that unrealistic expectation makes us feel totally unworthy, like there's something wrong with me. The, the, the true expectation of the presence of the Spirit in your life, self-control, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, negotiating this life, negotiating this life, not as a pinball reacting to everything, but negotiating this life, keep moving forward, having our eyes fixed on Yeshua, and whatever comes our way, we're able to work through it, not get over it. We never do, but to work through it, deal with it, you know, in a very in a powerful, positive way, and uh, and know that this, you know, whatever is here, this is not my future. That's where I'm headed, and and it's so important that that we live that we live uh, that way, right? And then I have here just finally a renewed sense of unity as we travel together, being filled uh, or uh, being a uh, um, living in the power of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, power of the Spirit, means yielding to one another, realizing that working together we reach the goal, right? Uh, and that's so very important. A, re- a renewed sense of fellowship with God, vision, and unity. Uh, what a great way to start again uh, this year. And what a great difference we can make in a, in a world that is getting sicker and sicker and sicker. How important is it that we not be so concerned with the petty things. You know what I mean? But we need to be more concerned with the real big picture and what our calling is and how important it is to keep moving straight, you know?
And uh, with that in mind, let's pray. Lord uh, uh, God, thank you, God, that you have called us to such a purpose. Lord, and on Sukkot, we are reminded, we are reminded of what you've done for us in the past, how you've protected us, how you provided for us. We are reminded, Lord, of your presence with us now, even in these flimsy structures of these bodies you've given us, uh, the Ruach HaKodesh, uh, the pledge of the future, Lord, and uh, uh, thank you that Sukkot points to the future. Lord, this whole world is like a sukkah. This whole world is a flimsy structure that's going to fall apart. Lord, we look forward to that new world, a renewed world, Lord, in which we will live in forever. Lord, may we have that as the goal. May our eyes be fixed on that. And as our eyes are fixed on that, Lord, you will carry us, you will carry us through. And Lord, so we do, we do thank you. We do thank you for the living waters, Lord, for the Mayim Chaim, God, the presence of the Spirit, Lord. And we do pray that for our people. We pray that for our families. We pray that for this world. We pray in Yeshua's name.